Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Uh, church, I, I was just thinking, hey, Josh, you, you can take this, oh. but you can't take it home. No. Uh, but I wanted to just, just mention something to you guys. Have you ever wondered what a pastor's nightmares are like? Well, I had a true pastor's nightmare on Saturday morning. And, and so just, just in case you ever wondered, these are the kind of things. You know, when you were a kid, did you have nightmares like you show up to, to school and you forgot to get dressed or you didn't wear your shoes or something like that? Well, I had a, a similar dream, and, and it woke me up abruptly early Saturday morning, and I could not go back to sleep. In this dream, I had woken up on Sunday morning, and it was about 7 a.m., which, please understand, is about two to two and a half hours later than I normally get up on a Sunday morning. And that I, and I had gone up and I was and I was kind of looking around like wow it's Sunday and then all of a sudden I realized I didn't have my sermon ready now my sermon is always ready by Saturday night always I mean if I have to stay up till midnight I'm going to make sure it's ready and and as I, I just went into a panic mode and I told Ian I told my son Ian I said I can't believe it I mean my sermon isn't ready and he looked at me and just like oh good job dad you squandered your Saturday and and I, like, I felt shame. I felt embarrassed. I felt horrible. And, and I, so then I woke up from that dream, still not knowing what day it was. And all I knew is I jumped out of bed. And so early Saturday morning, I got to work, and it was a great day. But just to let you know, I do have a sermon. It is ready. And those are the kind of nightmares that pastors have. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Don't, the, 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 the message to me is don't ever squander a Saturday. All right. Hey, well, last Sunday I shared with you a, uh, a little quote in my sermon. And I, I, I really wanted just to put that up there on the screens again. Last Sunday, I, I shared this with you. It says, people are God's prized possession. So manage your relationships well and take care of one another responsibly. That was part of my sermon. And, uh, and, and I was just to think about that for a second, because we are made in the image of God. We're children of God. We are God's prized possessions. In fact, everyone around us are. And people and relationships should be critical for us just as they are for God. In fact, the Ten Commandments, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are about relationship with God. The last six are about relationships with other people, human relationships. So when you think about that, even with it, go back to the Ten Commandments, God really cares about people, and we absolutely must do the same. So beginning next Sunday, I'm launching a three-part series, and I don't want you to miss any of it, but I'm going to be talking about relationships. I'm going to be talking about the people in our lives, and it's about building and strengthening and, and growing our relationships, and they're about ready to put up there. There's a graphic for what you'll be seeing over the next few weeks, uh, but it's about building, strengthening, glow, uh, uh, growing our relationships. I'm going to be talking about family relationships, 
parenting. I'm talking about uh, marriage relationships, friendships. These, these relationships are important to God. Therefore, they're important to us. And it's, I, I believe it's critical that we talk about relationships in the church because the Bible, for the most part, it talks about relationships with God and relationships with other people. So, uh, and, and I, I just want to tell you this as a pastor. Everybody deals with relational struggles. Everyone does. Um, hell attacks our relationships because the enemy knows if he can drive in wedges and if he can get people, believers, to be at odds with one another, then it breaks up unity. It causes many times emotional devastation and even destruction. And, and, and it can even cause many people to turn away from God, as I've seen in, in my lifetime. And so this, this is very important. I want you to hear all three of these sermons coming up starting next Sunday. So be sure to be here. Okay, get in your Bibles, open them up to the book of John chapter 4, verse 9. Keep it open to John 4 throughout this sermon because I'm going to be hitting various parts of that passage. Now, each fall, we have a special day where we launch Heart for the House, and, the, and we call that Heart for the House Sunday, and that's today. This is a day where we make financial uh, commitments, and we receive a special offering to meet the needs of this church for our missions and our outreaches, and so I'm talking about that today, and I want to say this up front. Now, please understand, if you're visiting or maybe you're brand new, newly attending, I want you to know this. Do not feel under any pressure to give in the special offering or to participate, but I do believe, again, like I prayed earlier, that God has something special and unique for you that he's going to speak to your heart about because God has an amazing way of customizing his word to our lives for where we are. And so I want you to receive it. And there's no accident that you're here today because God cares about you more than you can even possibly imagine. But Jesus set something up around 2,000 years ago, and he said, I will build it. And no force in hell will be able to stop it. What he was talking about was the church. So the title of my message today is Ready for the Harvest. Now in today's text, we're going to look at a story where Jesus went into a neighborhood where he didn't belong. I mean, has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me before. Almost, it's been almost 30 years, but Rebecca and I were along with another family, uh, and we were crammed into this minivan with their kids and one of our ch child, and, and we were on our way to Disney World in Florida. So it was going to be our first family trip to Disney World. We're so excited. We went with this other couple. And, 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 but on the way, uh, one evening, we, we were on our way out there, and we were going to drive straight through, trading off drivers and everything. We stopped in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and there was this, uh, we, we needed to stop at this service station which is, and we found, you know, there was one just north of I-10. We said, we need to take the exit now because I-10, you can drive forever and never see anything. So, so we needed to get fuel. We needed to use the restroom and grab some snacks. It was going to be a long drive ahead of us. So we were in there and, and I was at the register checking out and the employee at the register looked at me and said this. I mean, this is, this is like branded into my brain this moment. He said, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> I'm like, well, nope, nope. He goes, he goes, yeah, it's pretty obvious. Okay, you know. Uh, he, and then he said, he looked at me, he said, listen to me closely. Look outside. So he's telling me all these things to do. So I look outside. He goes, you see, it's almost dark. You need to get your family together and you need to get out of this neighborhood and drive south now and do not stop until you get back to Interstate 10. 
Now, my eyes grew huge, and, and, and I was like, well, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, what, what is the deal? Why, why, is he, why is he telling me this? And he could see my confusion, and I was like, what? So he went on to clarify, because obviously I wasn't getting it, and so he said this to me. He said, look at your skin color. Okay, I see it every day. Like, okay, whatever. I was born with this. But he said, now look around. He said, I'll say it again. You're in a neighborhood where you don't belong. And then he said three words that really sobered me up. He said, you have been warned. Well, I'll tell you what. I got my change, and I got back into that minivan, and I told my brother-in-law, hightail it out of here. We are getting out of here. I don't know what's going on, but we are not staying right here. And I was very grateful to the gentleman who shared that with me, so I obeyed, and I respected his warning. I got in the car, and we drove south with focus and determination. We're going to get there before dark. And, and I'll tell you, I will never forget that moment. I, it was an incredible moment. But what if you intentionally went to a neighborhood knowing that you're not supposed to be there and it would be considered maybe the absolute worst place to be. It's a place where the residents, the people who are there are actually considered to be like animals. They, they used a racial slur with the people who are in that neighborhood called dogs to describe them. Well, that would have been Samaria in the New Testament times. Samaria was a place where Jewish people were forbidden to go by their leaders uh, because they might get contaminated by these unworthy people. Now, what if that place, that neighborhood, that uh, there was a quite a large area, what if that place was directly between you and your destination, but the spiritual elite insisted that you must go the long way around it, adding many hours to your journey. And it was preached in your churches from week to week. I mean, it'd be kind of like this. Let's say you were going to drive to Wichita, Kansas. Yeah, we know it's just straight up the interstate, straight up I-35. Yep, yep, we know how to get there. You can close your eyes and get there almost. But let's say that Oklahoma was forbidden to drive through. Now, I can feel, think of a few reasons why that might be the case, but, but Oklahoma was forbidden to drive through, so you have to go around Oklahoma to get up to Wichita, Kansas. Can you imagine the number of hours that you're going to have to add to your drive just to make that happen? Because you certainly don't want to be in this forbidden region anyway. But you intentionally just went there anyway. Well, that's what Jesus and his disciples do. did. See, they were traveling from Judea, where they were, up to Galilee, and they did the unthinkable. Jesus took his disciples through the dreaded Samaria. Now, hear me well. No God-fearing Jew would ever take that shortcut through Samaria. Samaria was a land that was filled with uh, people that had an ethnic mix. And the Jews were very proud of their pure blood. See, the, the ethnic mix of that area was Roman, Phoenician, Jew, and Greek. Now, please understand, I think you would get this, like most of us today would probably live in Samaria. I know like, like my, my family would. My, my kids are, are part Mexican, part German, part English, part Dutch, part Spanish, part Jew, and part Portuguese. Like, yeah, we would definitely fit well in Samaria. We're typically full-blown full Americans, like most of us. But Jesus and his disciples were not, and they did the forbidden thing. 
In fact, Jesus always kind of enjoyed going to places that were forbidden because he wanted to engage with the unwanted and the unworthy people. I want you to get this. Unworthy people attract the heart of God. They really do. And, and that's, that's good news for you, and it's good news for me. But because what Jesus does is Jesus unifies what man divides. So Jesus is in Samaria. He goes up there, and then he meets this woman, and her name, well, the Bible doesn't give us her name, but um, I'm going to give her a name. We're just going to give her a, a fake name. We're going to call her Samara. So they just say Samara. It's kind of like, it's like Samara, Samara. So, so Samara. So Samara is the unworthy woman that I'm going to be talking about for the next few minutes. Again, that's my made-up name for her, but I wanted to personalize her so we can kind of get, just put a name on this, this imaginary face. So when, when Samara looked in the mirror, what she saw was unworthy and unwanted. She was also part of, she was actually part of the moral outcast literally of Samaria because of her lifestyle. Uh, and, and she was a racial outcast because the Jew, from the Jews because of her mixed ethnicity. So Samara, she saw herself as unworthy. She had been divorced five times. And in that culture, a rabbi might allow, might allow a person to be divorced twice, but five times would be absolutely unthinkable, unimaginable. But Samara... She, would, she definitely would have been an easy target to even judge her at a distance. She was simply unworthy. Now, I know the culture was very different there than it is here in, in our land today, but in that culture, women could not get a job and provide for themselves. They would have to kind of create their own jobs. And, and especially after having five divorces in that particular culture, then what kind of a decent man is going to then marry her and provide for her? So perhaps out of hunger, uh, she was forced to live with a man who was not her husband so that she could simply survive. I mean, she really didn't have any other options. She was unworthy. Her future was bleak. Her future was limited. Well, maybe her future was, was limited until she met this man who gave her hope, and that was Jesus, because Jesus saw in her something nobody else saw, which is a huge point for the kingdom of God is that all people matter to God. Everyone matters to God. Every single person. See, long before this moment, in my mind, I just see God looking at this Samara lady and looking at her pain-filled face and God wept. But also, God could also see Samara's restoration, and he smiled. Now, I want you to look at John chapter 4, verse 9, because this is where Jesus arrives at the well. And he was in this town in Samaria called Sychar. And he sent the disciples away to go find some food. And Samara arrives, a conversation ensues, and Jesus asks Samara for some water to drink. Take a look at it. John chapter 4, verse 9. It says, so a Samaritan woman, Samara, said to him, how is it that you, though you are a Jew, are asking me for a drink, though I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus replied to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and, you, and he would have given you living water. He was speaking of himself. Okay, hold your place there. Now, again, we don't live in that culture, but try to understand. At that time, a, a Jewish rabbi would not even speak to his wife or his daughter in public. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and he broke all the rules. Jesus spoke to the woman. She was a stranger, in fact. A Samaritan, like the Jews would call them, a Samaritan dog, to top it all off. And he asked her for a drink. See, Jesus didn't pay attention to the culture's... uh, bigoted, limiting rules. And, and Because all, all those rules do is they just create barriers between people. And so what he did is he, he plays into the kingdom of God law, which is the law of love and, and the law that, that, uh, that obliterates barriers, the law of love. And what Jesus did is he gave freely. He gave freely the gift of living water. Please know this. Jesus craves to restore unworthy people. He wants to do it through the gift of giving him, giving the gift of himself, living water. Uh, Way too often, far too often, people don't receive that gift. And and people don't receive that gift for a couple of reasons. One is because people say, well, I'm good enough. I'm already good. And other people say, I'm not good at all. I'm not good. So I can't receive that gift. But you see, God is, gave humanity a gift in spite of our unworthiness. See, a person's lack of goodness or their poor performance is not part of the equation. His gift is given to us simply because God is good and God is love and God generously gives. And God's gift changed everything, and it still changes everything. This is a gift that nobody can earn and that nobody deserves it. In fact, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, says God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So to be restored, we just simply have to drink of the gift of living water, which is Jesus himself. But, but people need to know this, and people need to know the truth. And if we're too busy and if we're too distracted like the disciples, people around us will literally go to hell. And that's a truth we have to absorb into our own hearts. And that's why the church exists. That's why we do heart for the house. That's why, that's why we give. That's why we serve. That's why we go. I mean, can, can you imagine the look on Samara's face when Jesus told her about this living water that he had to give? Can you imagine? Can you sense the fear and the excitement that was in her heart and must have just spiked in her heart and her emotions? She must have thought, well, once he realizes how unworthy I am, then he's going to reject me like everyone else has. And that is the thought of so many people in our culture. Well, if they really know who I am, the church will reject me because if they really knew, (laughs) there's no way they would want me around. But then what Jesus did is he identified her pain point. (laughs) Jesus, knowing all, he said, well, go get your husband. It's time to talk to the man. 
So Samara, she replied, well, I don't have a husband. (laughs) And Jesus said, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Actually, you've had five husbands. And the man you're living with is not your husband. Of course, she is being shocked right now. Now note this, that statement did not condone her sinful life at all. That's why he asked her to go get her husband. And there's a little side note here, which I think is very important for us because I guess you'd call them stodgy, overly religious people have it backwards. They tend to condemn or to judge unworthy people to get them to repentance. Stop doing what you're doing. Change your ways so that you can find God and so that you could be worthy to come to my church. That's not the way. Now, in today's culture, there's also what we just call woke Christians who do just the opposite. They're saying, hey, everything goes. There's no boundaries. You know, just indulge in any behavior you desire and everything's gonna be fine and you're going to heaven. And both of those approaches prevent people from coming into the kingdom of God. But what Jesus did is Jesus, he, he uses a very different method, which is the method we, live, we use here at City Life Church. Jesus basically says this. He said, I will restore you by giving you my living water so that you can stop doing what you're doing. See, that's called grace. That's what we sang about at the beginning of the service. It's not about pushing God's morals onto a lost person, uh, but it's about giving another person Jesus. And we, church, we as believers are the hands and feet of Jesus on this earth. He gave us his Holy Spirit so that we could do his work while he's preparing a place for us in eternity. And we do this by allowing and encouraging and demonstrating to people how to make changes through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We don't become the Holy Spirit himself. God does that. See, that's why this church exists. That's why we do Heart for the House. Now, the story in John chapter 4 continues, and Samara, she, she believes, and then she is immediately uh, sent out to find a bunch of other people in town. She went out to all the people she knew in town. John chapter 4, verse 29, Samara, she shouted, she said, come see a man who told me all the things I've done. This is not the Christ, is he? They left the city, and they were coming to him. He's right at the edge of the community, Basically, the community's emptying out. Everybody's flooding over at this point to see this man. She believed. She was loved. She believed, and she shared her gift. And other unworthy people that day experienced Jesus. Well, that's why City Life Church exists. That's why we do Heart for the House. And what's amazing about this story, though, is there's a huge contrast. See, the disciples are in contrast against this girl that I've named Samara. See, they come back and they give Jesus food, but he doesn't dive in and start eating. He just seems to be in this space, like he's just in this pleasant daze of some sort. He's not eating, and they are. And now, so to look down at verse 34, you'll see what happens because they, they beg him to eat. And Jesus then, like in his typical style, gets all cryptic and says something that they have to try to figure out what he's saying. John 4, 34 says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, 
Unfortunately, these spiritually insensitive disciples, they were not only racist and sexist and, and religiously elite, they felt that they were, but they didn't even have a clue about what their real calling was. John 4.34 is, I guess you could call it Jesus speak for these words. I have come into the world to rescue this world. I am on a mission and that is what satisfies me. That is what energizes me. That should be our hearts as well. Now, take a look at verse 35, because this is our core scripture for today. And Jesus looks at his disciples as all these people are coming around. And he says, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Because obviously it was at the time of year where it's still four months out from the physical harvest of wheat. But I tell you, raise your eyes. It's like, look up. Look alert. Wake up. Raise your eyes and observe the fields. And I'm sure as he did that, he's pointing to all of these people. For they are white for harvest. See, when wheat was ready to be harvested, it would have this white appearance. And it's interesting that the Samaritans at that time in their culture, they would all have been dressed in, guess what? White. Jesus was using symbolism. And he's saying, if you really look, you're going to see people in white that are ready for harvest all around you. Basically, what he's saying is, gentlemen, we're here at the edge of the city and there are people all around us. And you have been taught that those people are unworthy, but I say they are all candidates. Every single one of them are candidates for my eternal kingdom. And he's telling his disciples that they, they had arrived in this city of, of culturally unworthy people. But for some reason, you disciples, you didn't have the courage or the courtesy to tell one person about God's power to restore. He let them know that this unworthy woman who came to him, bringing along with her her poor reputation, she came to him while they were being myopic. They were just out running errands, focused on just a little duty for the day, checking off their little boxes. Why didn't the disciples invite any of the Samaritans to come visit Jesus? Well, my hunch is that, again, they were so concerned with the trivial and the temporal, getting lunch, which is the stuff that drives our days. Come on, we understand that. We know that. But what they were doing was overshadowed by the critical and by the eternal. I also believe that they had an air about themselves at that time because they were in a place where they had never been before and were never allowed to be before because of their racism or their spiritual elitism or their sexism, which still are very hard sins to break. And they were conditioned by the culture of the Jews at that time that they could only reach out to people just like them, other fully ethnic Jews. Why is this illustration given to us? Well, I believe it's given to us so that we can listen, so we can grow, and so we can be challenged ourselves to, to, to also know that when we do our part as individuals toward growing the church, toward reaching the lost, there is an eternal benefit for us 
also, as well as the people who are receiving faith in Christ. Now, look at verse 36 of John chapter 4. Look at that. He says, Already the one who reaps, it's a little bit cryptic here, but just follow me. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that the one who sows and the one who reaps may rejoice together. So what this says here is that we, when we are doing God's work, when we're making sure that lost people are somehow coming to Christ, that we will, reserve, we will receive eternal wages. <laughs> That's awesome. So you might say, well, I, I've had people say this to me. Well, evangelism is your job, Pastor, because you get paid to do it. Well, I, I just want to throw this out here to you. You will get paid in eternity much more than my measly paycheck would ever give me because that's what all of our job is to do. We're investing in God's work. We're reaching the lost. And only lost people are the people that God wants back into, wants into his kingdom. And these, these people, what the scripture is saying is these people are entering into eternal life and we're entering into eternity with them. And one of the most beautiful things about giving to ministry, about giving of our offerings, is that there will be people in heaven because of your giving, regardless of how small or large the gift is. There will be. Because of your giving. Now, you're not going to know until you actually get there. We won't know until we get there. But again, according to the scripture, we will be rewarded. We'll be rewarded. And, and then when we meet these people, we will be rejoicing with these people. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but there's somehow we'll be connected and they'll be saying, thank you so much for filling up this box. Thank you so much for giving to your church because you have no idea what it did down the line. And if you hadn't have given that gift, I wouldn't be here in heaven today. And you'll be laughing and rejoicing and just jumping up and down like, I had no idea. They will be so happy as well. That's one of the amazing mysteries of eternity. So church, we have a critical role in bringing people to Jesus. And I'll say this much as your pastor. We will not neglect the work of God here at City Life Church. We're not going to neglect the harvest. Um, and it comes through our actions. What we do seven days a week also comes from our serving. It also comes through our giving. I just want to just share a few things that Heart for the House has helped us to do and will help us to do. One of the things we, we do around here is what we call our, our four blocks litter, litter stomp, just keeping our neighborhood clean and, and getting the tools that we need to do to, to take care of that. We're not going to neglect these four blocks that are around us. We have a responsibility to this neighborhood because the business owners of this neighborhood are not going to clean up the neighborhood. We need to. A clean neighborhood in the heart of the city, it reduces crime and reflects the values of the church that sits right here on these four blocks. Another thing that your heart for the house giving helps with is just some things that you're, you may not even see or notice, but they're the facility upkeeps and repairs. Uh, it's about maintaining and improving this house of worship that's dedicated to the purposes of God's kingdom. Saturday project day, nine to noon. I still encourage you go to the app and sign up for that. I'd love to see you here. Come and serve, and, and, but also give so that we're able to purchase the supplies and the things that we need. And when we have an air conditioner that, go, that goes out, we're, we're immediately able to take care of these things and fix these things. And that's because of Heart for the House. 
another thing that Heart for the House does is disaster relief through Convoy of Hope. See, because it enables me to give offerings immediately to, uh, to, to get, which gives practical help to areas under disaster. Convoy of Hope is one of the most uh, widely recognized and, and, uh, and appreciated ministries that the, the secular world appreciates as well in a huge way that is there for emergency relief around the world. And that's actually part of the partners of our fellowship. And when there's an emergency, such as what happens and happened in Hawaii, I didn't have to come to you and appeal for an offering. We were immediately able to send off an offering to get supplies on the ground to help those people out and other nations as well. Another thing is, is our, our Christmas outreach. Now, you won't hear about this until next week, but uh, more people, I, we've been doing some research, more people in today's culture in America will come to church at Christmas than any other time of the year, and it's a new shift that's happened. Statistically, again, more unchurched people are more prone to attend church at Christmas than any other time of the year, so we're going to maximize our efforts this year. Another thing that Heart for the House helps us with is the homeless among us. Um, many of you know Jack right back here on your left in the back. Uh, he, he's one that we take care of on a, constantly, make sure he has a roof over his head, food in his refrigerator, and he's off the streets because of this church, and we do things like that. And, and, but but the, it's, it's really for any homeless person who begins to attend our church and becomes a part of our family. We help move people out of homelessness as well. And we have moved many people out of homelessness to this church. Another thing that we do is our Compassion Children sponsorships. Uh, in Brazil, for five years, we've been paying for the education and meals of Yovan and Yasmin and blessing them and getting them a Christian education and helping their home and giving them skills they need so they can succeed as adults in an impoverished area of the world. Someone was asking me about this just this last week, and, and they, they asked me, I said, we have children in Brazil, and they said, Brazil's a wealthy nation. They don't need that. It's like, well, obviously, I wanted to say to the lady, I, I, I wanted to say this, obviously, you've never been there, you know, because there's a lot of poverty there, and we're able to help these children who, who don't have, a lot of times don't even have fathers to, uh, the, like, the, for example, the, the little girl, her father's in prison. And so we're able to help these children out. We will not meet them, probably will not meet them until heaven, but it'll be awesome. Another thing that we're able to do is, is our Vietnamese pastors training and support of them. Pastors in Vietnam, I have the privilege of training them in, uh, in how to pastor and, Christian, and, and principles from the Word of God. And every couple months, I'm able to do this. And we financially support the organization uh, as, as we're able. And that's called giving it back to kids. And, uh, and so in many, and I, can, I still can't imagine what it would be like to pastor in a communist nation. But these, I'm able to join these people over Zoom and, uh, and, and minister to them in that way. This is another thing that we're able to do is Operation Christmas Child. And I know you filled these boxes plus the hundreds of others, but, but it's through blessing and serving and, and um, helping in other local churches and other nations, evangelism, church planting, it all happens through this. So we as a church, we also give to Samaritan's Purse, which is led by Franklin Graham, the son of the great American evangelist, Billy Graham. Another thing we're just able to do is, is to occasionally support Tarrant Area Food Bank. 
we give and we serve and we help to put food on the tables of uh, families that are at risk right here in our own Tarrant County area. And several of you went out with, with me. Uh, it was, it was, I think there were a couple of guys. It was just a bunch of ladies that were there with us. And we, we had a great time uh, just, just working there at the food bank, getting, getting boxes of food ready to, uh, to, so that we can simply be present and active in our city and help people who are hurting. See, it's who we are is not just what you see here on Sundays. We are salt and light in this community, and there is so, so much more. See, Heart for the House is a huge part of all of this. Through Heart for the House, we're able to provide immediate pastoral care in significant situations in our own congregation and benevolence. And another thing which you probably don't see or know about, but we do day in and day out, every day, come in contact with various homeless individuals in the, uh, in the neighborhood. And, and not every one of them can be helped or want to be helped, but there are occasionally those ones that God puts it on your heart to help this person. And we're able to help people in very specific ways, uh, very different than what we do for the ones who attend here, but just to help them in a specific way at a specific moment to relieve whatever pain is, the pain there is that they're going through. You guys don't see that happening, but Heart for the House makes that happen. Bottom line, church, no one is unworthy, and we must share Jesus. This local church is, and the local church worldwide always has been the vehicle that God has chosen to do this. So Heart for the House helps city life to be ready for the harvest. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, the message version of the Bible. He says, you are here to be light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with all, with all of this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm going to put you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up to God. Oh, that is powerful. This generous Father in heaven. You know, another thing is people make decisions to follow Jesus through this ministry almost every week. And a lot of times, many times, people don't even lift their hands, but they turn in one of those next cards. And they mark on that they've given their life to Christ today. We're able to connect with them and whether they end up coming or staying or whether they're just visiting town. So many people just even come drop in because they found us online. They're visiting town for a conference and then God gets a hold of their life right here. We never see him again. But that's why we're here. Look back at John chapter 4, verse 35, one last time. Do you not say... There are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I tell you, raise your eyes and observe the fields that they are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. So the one who sows and the one who reaps may rejoice together. Church, like I shared last week, I believe our time on this earth is short and Jesus is coming soon. We do not know when. But I know this for sure. The harvest is now. 
our theme for this year, since the very beginning of the year, has been this one word, ready. I don't drive home the theme all the time, but I'll tell you what, you're hearing that term, ready, 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 constantly because it's been in my heart all year long. And we must be ready for the harvest. And of course, there will be a payback for us. And our reward will be in eternity. So I want to encourage you to pray about and begin to make a, make a decision today. I, I'm going to ask you to pull out one of those Heart for the House cards. They were all in your seats. Just take a look at it right now. Heart for the House. Today, we, we just ask for commitments and offerings. I'll just tell you again what we'll do here in just a minute. Many of you, you're, you're ready to fill out a card and, and make a commitment and to give an offering today. But I want to explain the cards to you because you'll notice in there, there there's a place to fill it out. Uh, there's some suggested amounts that you can make a commitment. Say, so I want to commit this amount or commit that amount or whatever it is that God places on your heart. And, and it also says on there something to the, the effect that it's not about equal gifts, but it's about equal sacrifice because everyone is able to do something different. The amount is not important as it is the heart behind it and the commitment and even the sacrifice behind it. Um, and I'm going to ask you to make an initial commitment today. And, uh, and if, you, if you're watching online or you're not able to, uh, or, or you would like to fill this card out online, if you go to the City Life app, there's a Heart for the House um, slide that's right there on our, our news feed. You can click on that and you're going to get the same thing as what we have on these paper cards. So you can even complete that today. But I want to tell you a little bit about our goals. We will carry this on for all oh, about 12 weeks, 11, 12 weeks. That's typically what we do for this. And we, uh, and years ago, we used to call this our Christmas offering, but we would continue it into January and people would get confused. So we've changed it to heart for the house. But we've done this since the beginning of the church. And, and the, we have a goal, different tiers that we want to reach. The first goal is our November goal. By the end of this month, we would like to see $12,000 come in for Heart for the House. So anything that's designated Heart for the House for the month of November. This is not your tithes. This is, a, this is a separate offering. And you can give over this entire period from now all the way to the end of January. Our, our December cumulative goal, the goal for that would be $24,000 to, to have by the very end of December through the last Sunday of December, December 31st. And again, any offerings marked by that given in November and December will go toward that cumulative goal. And then finally, our final goal by the end of January is, is $30,000. And, uh, and I'm praying that we'll be able to reach that because that is our, our need. Uh, really, that's our minimum need for this year. So we're going to be receiving these offerings to the end of January. Uh, but now is a good time to go ahead and prepare an offering now. And again, if you're a guest here with us, just relax. But I believe God has spoken to you and will speak to you about, your, about whatever it is that, that God needed to convict you about today. Church, City Lifers, I'd like for you to take your card and, and uh, complete it today. If you need to later on change the amount or change it, all you have to do is fill out a new card and we'll put that new card in, in, in place of anything that you turned in previously. But I'm asking everyone today, if you're, be, if you're willing to, uh, to go ahead and give an initial offering toward Heart for the House. If you'll notice on the City Life app, there is an option now that says Heart for the House. And you can, you can just do the little drop-down menu on the giving app and do that. If you've not yet set up your giving app, now's a great time to do that. 
but you can give directly to Heart for the House that way, or you can give through our envelopes. Now, we do not have a special line on the envelopes that says Heart for the House, so you'll just go ahead and write that in and, uh, and get, that, get that filled in and completed, and you can begin giving an offering today. And again, it's not about equal gifts, but it's about equal sacrifice. So uh, the ushers will come in just a, just a minute. We're going to receive cards, and we'll receive offerings. But I'm going to give you about... Uh, about three or four minutes here to get those filled out. And in the meantime, I just want to dismiss our online congregation. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray that God blesses you and all that you do. And if you're able to be here with us this next Sunday, I really hope you'll join us. So take a moment, ask God for wisdom. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Church podcast. I would love for you to attend one of our worship services right here in downtown Fort Worth. So if you'd like more information, simply go to citylifefw.org. God bless.